From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, IOL calculation after radial keratotomy. And they've been experiencing hyperopia for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, they are happy people, so I, you, you will not be making a mistake. First this. If time and money were no object, you'd probably go to a lot of meetings. Not just ASCRS, but ESCRS, APACRS, AAO, Hawaiian Eye, and Winter Update, and you'd learn a ton. But money is an issue, and time an even bigger one. That's why I go to all of those meetings for you. Speak with the presenters you'd like best, and get them to distill their talks down to just a few minutes. You can see all of these interviews at no cost at the iWorld Replay website. Just go to ewreplay.org, E-W-R-E-P-L-A-Y.org, and enjoy. Much ink has been spilled about IOL calculation after laser refractive surgery. This issue has gained prominence because laser refractive surgery patients are beginning to age and to develop cataracts. There is, however, an even older group of patients with an even more complicated IOL calculation issue. Those are patients who have undergone incisional refractive surgery like radial keratotomy. Not only do these patients have corneas that are difficult to evaluate, but their refractive errors themselves are unstable and remain so indefinitely. So it is with delight that I welcome Harry Gegel as my guest today, who has sorted all of these things out. IOL calculation after eczema laser surgery is difficult in part because of the alteration in the relationship between the anterior and posterior corneal curvatures after ablation. Radial keratotomy has been thought not to alter independently the anterior corneal curvature from the posterior corneal curvature. So why is it that IOL calculation after radial keratotomy should be any more difficult than IOL calculation in a cornea that has not undergone any refractive surgery? Well, that's a good question. You know, there's one that was recently published in the Journal of Refractive Surgery by, um, by doctors Camelin, Savini, and Hoffer. And that study was the first one to show that there might not be a symmetric flattening of the anterior cornea RK surgery. Uh, they, they did a Pentacam study showing that both surfaces flatten asymmetrically, uh, causing a um, decrease in the ratio of the anterior and, and uh, posterior radii. The nation was it would uh, increase the refractive index of the cornea. Having said that, uh, that's the only study that's been published to date to kind of uh, um, suggest that there might be a, an, an um, asymmetric uh, change of the corneal uh, curves, anterior and posterior following RK. Study one possible problem with that study, they, they measured at the, uh, they, 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 they used the Pentacam they used the uh, three millimeter um, um, area in which is where the of um, RK bending occurs. So um, I think that study would have to be 
replicated. I think the 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 typical answer to your question would be the following: um, because RK surgery flattens the central cornea, and there is this knee of bending that occurs around the three millimeter. Uh, all of the gadgets we have, uh, especially the office um, keratometers, that it measures at roughly the three millimeter zone. So the actual central cornea is flatter than we're actually measuring with routine um, ints that, that we have in the office. So that's where the error comes in. Now, one of the concerns uh, with, with using conventional means to uh, measure keratometry uh, after someone said laser refractive surgery is that all of the errors, the uh, error in, um, a, a, as you said with radiocaritotomy too, the the error that's induced by the fact that we're not measuring central cornea, the error that's induced by the change in relationship between the the anterior curvature and the posterior curvature of the of the cornea, and by extension, the effective refractive index of the uh, cornea, and the error the errors that are induced in the estimation of effective lens position, all of those errors compound to make yes. the patient more hyperopic after surgery. Is this the case with, with radial keratotomy too? All, all, all the things you, you just mentioned are, are true for LASIK. Uh, which I think that, the, the, I think that the, the thing to stress with what you said, all of those errors compound. They go in the same direction. Common formulas, if you've got a flat cornea and you're using the SRKT formula, um, it, it's, it's going to uh, make a mistake on where, where it thinks the IOL is going to um, wind up, right? So the effective lens position error would, would still occur with certain formulas. How has this challenge been dealt with in the past? Well, it's been dealt with uh, numerous ways. I think, I think what, what got me started on this study was that uh, I was totally confused on, on what to do. Do. And, and having read all the articles, uh, I didn't think anyone really had a good solution. Uh, people have used the so-called clinical history method uh, uh, to um, determine proper eyewall power. That doesn't work well. They would use a what's called the contact lens method. You put a put a contact lens with known power and see what the um, refraction is with or without it, and you can uh, maybe determine what the true corneal power is. That, that doesn't seem to work too well with RK. Uh, there was one study trying to use the um, uh, wavefront aberometry, uh, which we're all beginning to start to use for um, routine cataract surgeries. Uh, that study showed very poor with RK. Um, one, some authors would, would, would measure the K value let's say with an office keratometer, and subtract one diopter from that value and use that as the new K value in all kinds of um, formulas like, like K2, Binkhorst course formula, the Holland formula. Uh, people have used the Pentacam um, machine to measure different um, uh, points uh, on the scan. Uh, people have used uh, routine topographers uh, and sometimes use the three millimeter, four millimeter, five millimeter zone 
um, with or without what the so-called double K um, technique uh, using the holiday formula. So I, I think, uh, and then people would, would either use the Tomei topographer or, or the ISIS topographer. And when, when you use these machines, you've got a choice of like 10 different um, uh, measurements. And it's a little bit confusing which measurement works best. Can I get you to describe the design of your study, of this study? Right. Okay. So uh, on this study, it was a retrospective case series in 26 eyes in 20 patients who had a minimum three-month post-op follow-up. And um, I wanted to see which K value would work in this patient using the Hagus formula. Now, the reason I chose the Hagus formula um, that formula does not um, use the K value to determine the um, effective lens position. It, it, the Hagus formula has three constants. Uh, the A1 constant is somewhat related to the anterior chamber depth. The A2 constant is tied to the axial length. And the A0 constant is um, you, you, you more or less deter with your own dead moose the power predictive curve either up or down uh, depending on what your uh, constant should be for the way you measure eyes um, and so since it doesn't really use the k value uh, this is another study that I did on LASIK um, calculations several years ago and I looked at all the different formulas and it turned out that the Hagus formula worked, worked the best it, it also was interesting that the Hoffer Q formula in these eyes uh, uh, tends to work well, but I, I did not test the um, Hoffer Q formula in this study. I felt that the uh, Hagus formula would be a formula to use. Transient refractive changes occur after cataract surgery in patients with radial keratotomy. Can I get you to describe these? Um, well, right after surgery, um, this was a point that Doug Cook uh, wrote about years ago. Um, because there are radial incisions in the cornea, when you make your cataract incision, uh, those radial inc incisions flatten the um, uh, cornea right at the time of surgery. So if, if the patient um, had a pre-op K value of, let's say, 38, uh, right after surgery, it would be not unusual to find K values like 34 or 35 uh, diopters. And uh, patients simply have to be told um, that right after surgery, they're probably going to be um, farsighted. And we just have to wait anywhere from one, two, or sometimes up to three months for the cornea to rebound to its pre-op values. Um, and uh, so uh, that, that's one reason why uh, you, you, you have to be careful right after surgery that, that you don't panic and think that you, you made a, a um, big mistake in, in the eye wall choice. Now, the other reason people can have um, transient changes with RK, some, some patients will have more flattening in the morning and the cornea gradually steepens up in the afternoon. So I think that's a point that we stressed in these patients. Um, when you're going to be trying to determine proper eye well power, 
in these patients, I always ask them if the patients themselves notice a fluctuation of vision from morning to evening, and they say yes, I will check their uh, uh, K values in the morning and also check them in the afternoon because you want to choose the flattest K value uh, so that they're not going to be hyperopic at any point of the day. Um, Rick, what were your results? What were your findings from this study? Yeah, well, okay. So what, what I was testing in, this, in the study were um, different um, K values. So, so I was using the Tomei um, topographer, and I was using the, um, the flat K value in the first nine rings. Uh, it could be ring number one. It could be ring number nine. Uh, on a given patient, and um, I also looked at the minimum K value from the um, Tomei topographer, and I looked at the average or this so-called SIMK uh, value from the um, topographer, and then I looked at the K value office kilometer that I use and the K value from the IOL master, and I set my I set the Hagus formula to uh, have a goal of a final spherical equivalent of minus zero diopters. I ran all the um, data through a uh, spreadsheet. Uh, uh, there was not a really good result with any of those um, methods it, 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 except for um, corneal topographer using the flattest K value. And since I wanted to make it simple for patients, I also ran another set of calculations using the IOL master K value and the Hagus formula targeted for minus 1.0 diopters. So, so that's tested in this study. And the uh, final results were that uh, very good um, results were obtained by two different methods. Number one, using the flattest K value from the um, topographer and the Hagus formula minus doctor, or the um, IOL master K values with the Hagus formula set for minus one diopters. Uh, both of those gave 73% uh, um, roughly of patients within half a diopter of the um, intended result. Um, 88% of the patients in diopter of the intended result. And the important thing, the 12% um, of the patients who were not in that range were not overcorrected. So um, that was the um, uh, main result of the uh, study. I think there was one patient in the, in the um, flat um, topography reading that had a final spherical equivalent of plus 0.62. So there was one patient who was really um, hyperopic in that group, but the IWAL um, uh, master values were just set at minus one diopter goal. Uh, there was no one that was uh, there was no one that was hyperopic after surgery. The the, the three patients that were not ideal were a little bit more nearsighted between uh, minus 1.6 and two, and 2.1 diopters of myopia. Um, the other um, K values uh, tended to either 
produce um, too much hyperopia. Uh, that that was with the um, manual K values from the office um, keratometer or the Iowa master values uh, set for a target of minus half a diopter or using the average topography values. Uh, and there was way too much myopia in using the minimum K values from the corneal topographer or using the Hagus L equation. Um, so I want to make sure people don't get confused. The, 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 the proper fo formula to use is the standard Hagus formula. I also tested the Hagus L formula. It's really designed for LASIK patients, not RK patients. And the reason I tested the Hagus L equation, I mean, I, I believe Dr. Hagus would just tell you uh, that formula was meant for LASIK, not RK. The reason I, I, I included this in this in this paper is that when I'm at meetings or when I read um, throwaway journals. Um, there are some surgeons who state that they're using the Hagus L equation for RK patients, and my data shows that that's not going to work. You discuss the fact that the clinical history method has proved to be frequently faulty after radial keratotomy, in part because many of these patients demonstrate a progressive hyperopic shift. I think that this is a point on which it is worthwhile to elaborate. Can I get you to describe briefly the clinical history method and then why it is that a progressive hyperopic shift would invalidate the premise of the clinical history method for many post-radial keratotomy patients? Okay. Uh, well, the um, clinical history method works as follows. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. So first of all, one of the problems with the clinical history method is you need to know what the K value was prior to to the RK surgery. And since these surgeries on most patients were done uh, 20 years or, uh, or more uh, in the past, unless it was your own patient and you still have the records, uh, you're never going to find that, that value. But let's just assume that you, you knew that this patient's pre-op K value was um, 44 diopters, and you uh, treated four diopters of myopia, and the end result was a plano refraction. So you you know that the that the pre-op K value is 44, and you successfully treated four diopters of myopia, and you simply subtract the four diopters from 44, and you get the new K value. 40 diopters, which you would use in your um, IOL e equations. Uh, that's how the clinical history method works. Um, so if if a patient has aggressive hyperopia, and now um, 20 years later his his cornea has flattened to um, uh, you know 36 diopters, let's say, um, that premise of using the 40 diopter as the K value no longer holds. The time you see the patient, he or she has already developed their cataract. So you really have to do the clinical history method before a cataract happens. Otherwise, the nuclear sclerosis myopic um, effect on refraction is uh, influenced by the mere presence cataract. So the um, 
progressive effect of the hyperopiaid development of cataract, it totally confuses the, and in my opinion, invalidates the clinical history method. You describe using central corneal computerized topographic values. I want to distinguish these from SIMK. Why do you feel that SIMK would not be the best topographic parameter for these patients? Okay. Uh, SIMK is trying to replicate the office keratometer reading. And as such, it's going to measure the average um, uh, steep power on rings 7, 8, and 9 on the um, A to par. And um, then it's going to take the orthogonal axis and read the powers on rings 7, 8, and 9 to determine the fault K value. And that is at a millimeter zone. Uh, and, and, you know, on, on the average cornea and on, on a flatter cornea, it's going to be a, a slightly different zone. But it's trying to replicate what you get with your office keratometer. And, we all, and we've already said that the RK cornea is flatter inside that um, diameter. So you're, you're simply going, if you use the SIMK value, you're running into the same problems you have with the office keratometer. You're not measuring more central flatter values and those values are going to uh, be uh, uh, steeper than, than the patient's true corneal power is, and that's going to lead to a hyperopic result. And, 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 and the data from my study showed that. Employing standard IOL calculation formulas will usually inaccurately predict the effective lens position as being more anterior than it actually is because patients who have not undergone surgery of natively flat corneas have their their crystalline lenses more anterior and, and thus the IOL placement more anterior than a patient who has started out with a steeper cornea, a deeper chamber, and then as a result of refractive surgery, said flattening. This would tend to induce a hyperopic refractive surprise. Is this the reason that you chose the the Hagus formula to to address this concern because the Hagus is less susceptible to this sort of error because it's not employing keratometry um, as a parameter to determine the effective lens position. Yes, um, I, I I could not say any any uh, simpler or more straightforward than that. And um, it, as I stated already, the power of the Hagus formula is that it does not use the K value to determine effective lens position. And it's quite possible that the Hoffer U formula might have had just as good a reason in these set of eyes. My, form, my other study on LASIK eyes showed that the Hoffer Q and the, and the Hagus worked work very well. Now, the reason the Hoffer Q formula could work is that... Um, uh, Ken Hoffer used the square of the tangent of K value to determine effective lens position in, in his um, equation. And if you just do the math, that that it uh, that is not really altered too much by a steep cornea or or, or, or a flat cornea. So, um, but I think everyone has has the a lot of people use the Hagus. It's in all our um, equipment as, as is the, the Hoffer Q, obviously, but um, I just 
I, I, I chose the haze simply because it worked well on the sick patients and the way it's um, designed, we should have a better shot at the effective lens position uh, problems that can arise in, in these types of corneas with other foreign. Now I uh, want to circle back to to one thing that you that you touched on earlier, which is as 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 you said, one of the reasons that we can't use the clinical history method is is that even if it were possible to determine what the keratometry was, what the degree of flattening was that was achieved initially by radial keratotomy, because these patients experience a progressive hyperopic shift, it's a sort of moving target and the keratometry that you that you wind up with when it finally comes time for, for cataract surgery may be different from what the immediate postoperative keratometry is. Now in that same vein in, in the vein of this continued hyperopic shift, which is obviously not terminated by cataract surgery, isn't the refractive result at which you're aiming, you know, for the, the post-cataract refractive result itself, a sort of moving target? And it, it, do, do you plan for that in your calculations? Do you aim to intentionally make the patients a little bit myopic, expecting some sort of long-term drift that will drift them closer to myopia or at least to less hyperopia uh, in, in, the, in the future? Yes. The answer, the answer to that question is yes. Uh, so the, I was aiming for the final refraction to be minus half a diopter myopia. And all the calculations in this paper were based on on the intended result being half a diopter myopia final uh, spherical equivalent. And the reason for that is, as you stated, these patients, even though they might be in their 70s and they had their RK3, uh, you know, five years ago, they still get progressive flattening. I think the PERC study um, showed that between six months and 10 years, there was 0.06 diopters of flattened ear between two and 10 years. Um, and so if, if, if the patients are going to flatten another half diopter, one diopter at, at this stage, I, I, I probably no one really knows if the progressive flattening ever stops. Um, they probably limit to what it's going to finally do but I think the the, the uh, as stated in my paper, I kind of grouped the patients into the ideal final refractive result. To me, that was uh, minus 0 0.2 to minus 1 diopter myopia. So I kept them myopic. And, and what I called acceptable result, plus 0 0.25 hyperopia to minus 1.5 diopter myopia. And unacceptable with anyone less than one and a half myopia greater than 0 0.25 diopter hyperopia. Um, and I did that, you know, I think a lot of papers will state, um, you know, plus or minus half a doctor, plus or minus one diopter from the intended result. These are more or less that range, but I wanted to stress the ideal is to keep these patients myopic. And, um, the other point I should make is as follows. There was such a high percentage of my patients were um, hyperopic prior to surgery. Um, and I think in my 17 out of the 26 eyes were hyperopic. And it, even if you 
bring these patients to, let's say, minus one diopters myopia, they're happy. They are so happy because they um, they can see reasonably well at distance. They can they can the computer. They've regained a little bit of their myopia, and they've been experiencing hyperopia for the last 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, they are happy people. So uh, you, you will not be making a mistake aiming for the intended result of mild myopia and and tell the patients that, and uh, and you'll have happy patients. Yeah, I mean, plus the, these are highly, highly multifocal corneas that have, you know, yes. a, 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 a tremendous depth of focus. And if you, there, you know, a, a, a minus one post-RK patient is probably going to have better distance vision without correction than, than, a, than a, you know, virgin minus, minus one eye. Um, ha- having done well, this really... Having done this, this really wonderful, wonderful paper, what do you do in your own practice now? Okay. Um, well, I, I keep it simple. I, I, I use the results I, I got. Um, um, so what I do on my patients now, uh, just out of curiosity, I, I obviously do a corneal topography, and I also flat K value on the corneal topographer, and I, and I, I run, run the Hagas equation for minus half diopter. But in truth, what I do now is um, I, I, I look at the IOL master K value. I plug that into the Hagas equation with a target of minus one diopters. I check, the, I check the patient's K values in the morning and the afternoon, and I'll pick flattest K value. I'll, I'll, and I'll make sure that that the values I'm getting are, are um, consistent with my the other way I, I, I do measure corneas. But I, I'm simply using the IWAL master K values with the Hagas equation set of minus one diopters, making sure I'm, I'm I'm using the flattest K value whether it's morning or afternoon, and um, and I'm picking the IWAL that way, and I inform. Take up to three months to stabilize, and they're all on board with that, and um, that's what I'm doing. Harry Giggle, thank you so much. Okay, well, thanks for staying up late. Harry Giggle is head of ophthalmology and director of cornea and refractive surgery at Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. His paper, Intraocular Lens Power Selection After Radial Keratotomy, Topography, manual, and IOL master keratometry results using Hagus formulas appears in the May 2015 issue of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Gekel or any of our previous guests or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.